All right, welcome to the Digital Side Hug. It feels like forever since we've had a podcast. I'm David Rubio, and I am on the campus of Lipscomb University with Lee C. Camp. Lee, how are you? I'm great, David. Good to I'm see you. I'm delighted to be on the Digital Side Hug. This is really fun. Of course, Lee, I've hugged you before. Yes. I, I, Lee was a graduate school professor of mine. And, and and we've actually known each other in, in other capacities as well. Um, but when last year, when the Oscars rolled around yes. in, in 2014, and I was I had just started the digital side hug, I had I had several podcasts kind of lined up. I'd already interviewed these youth ministers, and the Oscars rolled around, and I thought, I, you know, stories, God invented story. And we in ministry use stories all the time. Stories are powerful, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the Oscars is a celebration of great storytelling. Yes. And I thought, I need to have a digital side hug beginning next year, which is now. Yes. A, a, a podcast that, that's sort of in honor of this moment in our in our culture where we celebrate great stories. Cool. So that's what this is. You're on the Oscars podcast. I'm delighted. <laughs> and I'm the most culturally illiterate person for you to have on the Oscars digital side hug podcast episode. Well, but you do understand the power of story. I do, yes. And in fact, um, the movie that we're going to talk about on this podcast today, you wrote a review, essentially a review did, of, yes. on Huffington Post. And that's why you're here. Oh, well, very we're going to talk about American Sniper. We're going to talk about some of some of your thoughts on what it says about us as Americans and, and perhaps even what we as Christians can learn about that. Of course, you know, the target audience is youth ministers. So at some point here... You know, you youth ministers out there, my hope is that somehow in, in one of the questions that Lee answers or in some way, shape, form, his heart will be able to communicate something, you know, for us that could be important uh, about the way that we help our students translate the, the stories that they hear, that they see, that they fall in love with potentially or give their lives to because mm-hmm. that's what we all do uh, we've given our lives to the story of God at work through the Israelites and etc etc et and now through us today so moving on to the get to know me this is going to be a lightning round excellent okay now I've got a good friend of mine that makes fun of me because the lightning round doesn't feel like a lightning round yes and and <laughs> I'm going to try today to make this fast okay, okay are you ready for this yes. all right so we're going to go this is again the Oscars podcast okay and so I, Lee I'm Fearful. Are you? Are you? Yeah. So you're not a movie guy? No. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's see how this works, and maybe I'll have to answer all these yes. questions. All right. So first of all, tell us about your wife and kids. Tell us about your family. I am married to the lovely woman Laura Brumfield, now Camp. Uh, Laura and I have been married. It'll be 25 years in October, and we have three dear sons: Chandler, who's a freshman at Pepperdine University. David, who is a junior at Hume Fogg Magnet School in Nashville, Tennessee, and Ben, who is a freshman at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. Three sons. Three sons. Uh, very similar to my mom and dad. Yes, indeed. Um, who had three sons. Uh, hello to your family and camps. Thank you for sharing your, your father slash husband with us. All right. Lee Camp, what is your favorite Forrest Whitaker performance of all time? <laughs> Could you show me a picture of Forrest Whitaker? <laughs> I, I actually can. <laughs> All right, Forrest Whitaker. Okay, the, fir- the, the first Forrest that came up was Forrest Gump, but the second Forrest that came up was Forrest Whitaker. Yes. Now, this is him. I've seen Forrest Whitaker. 
<laughs> on the screen. Yes, I have. Your, your favorite performance by Forrest. It's so far the lightning can you, part. Can we make it a multiple choice well, lightning round? Well, but see, I wanted to talk about my favorite Forrest yes, Whitaker what, moment. What, so, as well. what is your favorite Forrest Whitaker <laughs> performance? Well, my favorite performance by Forrest Whitaker is in the movie Panic Room. That looks like a really freaky scary oh, movie. Oh, it is so. Yeah, yeah. it's haunting yeah. and brilliant. And of course, it's sort of horror, kind of, except it's more suspense thriller. And like he's suspense terror. I terrific. Would. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. And he's terrific in it. Uh, I do love him. Most people would say his performance in uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. J- just FYI. So I wish I had prepared a. Uh, okay, favorite Paul Walker movie. Let's go, Paul Walker. The uh, May He Rest in Peace. Could you show me a picture of Paul Walker? Are you serious? I am serious. Okay. I told you I'm that's culturally Paul, illiterate. That's Paul Walker right there. And you... Yeah. <laughs> he does not look as familiar as uh, Forrest Whitaker. Okay. Well, let's do, <laughs> let's do this. What is your favorite... Should I Google, uh, should I Google an image of Steve Martin? <laughs> Your favorite I Steve do Martin know movie. Steve Martin. Okay, yes. what's your favorite performance by Steve Martin? Wow, he he's done some really fine ones. Um, Parenthood, of course, is a great one. Oh, terrific! Yeah, um, that may be my favorite. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, what was his first name in that? Something Buckman. He was one of the Buckmans. Oh, when he runs out on that that kitty uh, ball field, the the, the, yeah. the the little league field, celebrating at the end, B- brilliant yeah. movie, Parenthood. Uh, we can learn a lot, yeah. actually. Youth ministers can. All right, so Lee, have you ever walked out of the movie theater and asked for your money back? And if so, what was the movie? No, I haven't. I, I um I did walk out of a theater once because of my moralistic okay tendencies. So the content of the movie, you you you. You objected to it enough to walk out, but you didn't. You didn't ask no, for your I, money actually, back. No, actually, no, I didn't. Actually, what happened was it, it was uh, it was Beverly Hills Cop, uh-huh. and um, I that was probably the first R-rated movie I'd ever gone to see. And I Speaking was of terrific for- performances by Judge Reinhold, yeah, indeed, yes. Um, I do know who he is. Good. Blacklist, right? Yes, is that right? No, you're thinking no? of. Uh, James Spader. I am thinking of James Spader. They, they have a similar look. look. They, okay. have, they, they do yeah, have a similar yeah, yeah, okay. look. Yeah. Right. Um, and <laughs> okay. But anyway, so my friend had told me I was I was a first R-rated movie, and my friend told me you'll, there was a scene here that you'll want to leave on, mm-hmm. which was the scene in the strip joint. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I she elbowed me, and I got up and went to the back of the theater and watched the scene from the back of the theater. Then I went out, and then, <laughs> then I came back in. Okay. And then later I went forward at church to uh, really yeah, to confess my sin. True, true story. You went forward to church uh, for going to the R-rated movie or for for watching the scene. You should for going watch. to an R-rated movie. Okay. All right. Uh, next question. What's what movie is most likely to make you cry? Well. Um, I'm actually quite sentimental, and so I can, if a movie intends to pull sentimental strings, it will usually get me, and so that happens quite often. So th- there's a lot that would a do that? A lot of them, yes, yeah. So, uh, an example, I mean, can you think of one? Uh, I mean, you know, for me, Savannah Smiles. It, look, if you haven't seen it, don't judge. Um, I think I did see Savannah Smiles, and I, I think that it did make me cry. Oh, so powerful. All right. 
Is there a movie that you suspect most youth ministers listening to this podcast have never seen, but they must go see upon your recommendation? Yes. Um, the movie Romero. Okay. About the Pope? Uh, no, about uh, the Archbishop of El Salvador. Archbishop. Yeah, he's up for... Uh, uh, he was just recently recognized as uh, an official, we'll put quotation marks, official martyr by the Catholic Church. But okay. So you, spoiler alert already, I get spoiler alert. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> spoiler alert. You should edit that out. Well, no, 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 that's okay. Listen, and this is a good time to just say, if you haven't watched American Sniper, you should hit pause, go watch it, and then come back because and we're going to, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Romero, actually, I've seen that movie more than any movie I've ever seen. And in talking about story, it's one of the most brilliantly done overlays of the gospel story laid upon the life of someone who sought to live out the gospel story in a, in a very poignant, very moving, deeply disturbing way. I have, I think I've seen clips of it, or, or I, it, I was flipping through channels and saw it one day. At some point during the movie, does he help them create a water system that, that gets clean water to a community? No, that's okay. No, so that's a different, different movie. Different movie. Yeah. Um, the movie The Mission. Yes. Sort of strikes me as a similar theme of, of someone who's trying to live out the gospel. Yeah. In a in a kind of church setting. Uh, yeah. Although it's not El Salvador. But certainly caught up in the drama of European imperialism in South America. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, and what it looks like to live out the gospel in these two different kind of, two or more different ways of envisioning what Christianity should look like. And so um, who is, the next question, who is playing the role of Lee C. Camp, what actor, is going to play your life, you, you know, your, your role in the movie the most excellent biopic of the late great Lee C. King. <laughs> you know, I'm a I can be a fairly vain guy, but I don't think I've ever considered that possibility. Um, I don't know. Give me give me some options. Ray Romano. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> no, I'm saying it, he's great. He's lovable. He is, Everyone. I, I, yes. Yeah. And he's an entertainer, you know. He is very funny, and we actually love. Uh, <laughs> you don't think? I think he's a sitcom. handsome guy. It, the nose is too much nose. <laughs> well, okay, I know. Maybe I don't focus on noses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. Um, I, 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 I don't maybe know. Maybe you should just stop there. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I don't want to dig, dig the hole right. any deeper. Yeah, yeah, right. All right, um, there's a button in front of you. If you push it. The only way you get to watch a movie for the rest of your life is to watch it with your own parents and your in-laws. That's so if say you, that again now. If you there's a button okay, in front of you, if is. you press it, yes, then you may never watch a movie again, regardless of the location or the setting. I mean, you may never watch a movie unless you're watching it with your parents and your in-laws. They all must be present for the rest of your life to watch a movie. That's if I want, if I push that button. If you push the button. And what happens if I don't push the button? If you do not push the button, then for the rest of your life you may only watch movies on either an iPhone or through binoculars. Oh my. I can't even get an iPad? No. iPhone or binoculars. <laughs> so you can go to the theater. With, but it's got to be with but my in-laws and my parents. No, well, no, you can go to the theater with binoculars. <laughs> yeah, it, but that but, would be that. Yeah, that would be difficult. Well, that's that's the that's the button question for you. 
Now, does every guest get asked this particular button question? No, no, no. It's always it's different. a different button. Yes, it's, uh, this is in honor of the Oscars, obviously. Uh, yes, okay. Um, I I think I'm going to have to say I will not push the button. Okay, so you can watch it on an iPhone. Yeah. Or or something similar to an yeah. iPhone, or or a uh, or watch with binoculars. Yeah. Final question to what was maybe the slowest right lightning round ever um, yeah. ac- accidentally uh, <laughs> I didn't realize if you how had few... a more culturally literate yes, yes it would have gone would've been quicker. really fast okay but the last question is by Morris Gregoire who of course asks one question every time uh, at Morris of, of askingcanbefun.com which we hope to, to turn into a real book someday um, the question is this describe a time or two in your life when trying quote, not to look like a wuss, unquote, <laughs> really backfired on you. Oh. Of course, we're going American Sniper here. You know, this guy was a bad dude. Yes. And was. so, you know, trying not to look like a wuss, did it ever backfire? Mm, boy. Yeah, I, I honestly can't think of any kind of instances where I can answer yes to that because generally I... I've never been much of a um, a character who tried to be much of a bad dude, at least in the American machismo sense of that. So nothing's. I'm sorry, nothing's immediately coming to mind on that. Well, I, in some ways, that's kind of awesome uh, that that your story isn't filled with times where you felt pressure to be someone that you're not and it ended up backfiring on you you know um maybe maybe, maybe that's that's kind of awesome or maybe it's too much cowardice okay that's maybe. another way that's another way to look at it yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i like your interpretation much better <laughs> well I, you know, it's funny you say that, you know, about the cowardice. Because when I called you to say, hey, let's podcast about this article that you've written about yeah. American Sniper, part of your response was, you know, I, okay, <laughs> let's, why not? Because you wrote an article, a review that, that you know, um, you put yourself out there. You know, th- this is not cowardice. Um, and if you're interested, if you've seen the movie and you'd like to read the, the review, uh, just simply type in, HuffingtonPost.com slash Lee dash C dash camp slash Clint dash Eastwoods dash sniper dash an a n underscore b underscore six five three one nine eight two dot html and that'll get them right there that'll get you right there yeah or, or you can google <laughs> Lee C Camp Huffington Post yeah. and and you can and check him out there um, but I can see how people some people would not like this this review yeah that's right. Just read the comments, and you can find a lot of those. Actually, I didn't read the comments. Um, I, I, I try not to do that as a general rule. Reading comments just puts me in a bad mood, period, whether yeah. it's a sports blog or a religious blog or, like this, a movie review review blog. Um, well, let's do this. Let's let's talk for a little bit about the, um, the context in which you watched the movie. So I, tell us why you watched it the way you did and what you did afterwards and the reason for all of that. Yeah. So um, I knew about the film and um, I, I can't remember exactly how, how it went down, but in, in, in the end result was that five or six of us uh, from our church community went together 
to uh, to uh, see the film together, and and then we decided that we would go enjoy sitting together around a table afterwards and uh, and discussing it, and it was uh, it was good. You you had a feeling it would be a fun movie to discuss because of the content of the movie, the, the type of movie that it is, and the type of person that you are. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so okay. Let's stop right here and just pause and okay. talk about what it is that you do and and why what you do or how what you do connects to wanting to see and then talk about this movie. Okay. Well, I'm, a, um, I'm in my 16th year of teaching in a university setting. I teach uh, theology and eth- ethics courses. Um, I was uh, trained in graduate school by uh, one of the best known American Christian pacifists, John Howard Yoder. And so I've thought, written, taught a lot about issues around um, violence, nonviolence, war and peacemaking and things of that sort. So a movie comes out that previews seem to sort of glorify maybe would be the word maybe maybe not i mean you know from the from the uh trailer you don't really know exactly how the story is going to unfold and um or exactly what the emotional effect of the story is going to be but it's clearly being brought to market in a marketplace in which there's immense deeply held feelings about the war one way or the other, right or left, or however you characterize yourself. Um, And so it was clearly going to be a culturally important artifact in the national conversation, or so I thought it would be. And it's it's been remarkable how much of an artifact of conversation it's been. You go to see the movie. Let's talk for a moment just about your impressions of the movie. And I have seen it as well. Um, from the standpoint of story, how did you feel like Clint Eastwood did at the storytelling? You know, of uh, just Kyle's life. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's it's a it's a terribly um, you know compelling, moving story that I certainly uh, felt very em- deeply emotionally moved. Numerous places in the yeah. film, and the the emotional tension that's developed. And then this kind of tragedy at the end is, yeah. is feels overwhelming. Talk us through, if you would, what were the two or three moments in the film that you, that you know you mentioned earlier, sort of brought out of you a, a real serious emotional um, response. Yeah. What were those and why? Um. Well, and it's hard to tell how much of this is after the fact reflection that I'm conflating with my experience in the film and how much of it was in the live experience of the film. But I certainly remember uh, feeling very emotionally distraught, as I think Clint Eastwood and those who wrote it intended for you to feel, uh, certainly in his first kill where Mm -hmm. he kills a child and a a woman. Probably an eight-year-old child, son. And and that boy's mother. And I think think it's important for us to note, as I do in the article, uh, a sharp distinction I think should be made between what I call Eastwood's Chris Kyle and the historical Chris Kyle. Right. And uh, apparently that's a, com- that's a fabrication. It's not true to historical Chris Kyle, but it's, it's Eastwood's Chris Kyle as he, as he developed his storytelling. Um, and so that's clearly a, a very difficult and disturbing moment, but it sets up the kind of the moral dilemma of the film, at least 
the moral dilemma for Chris Kyle, and that is uh, this kind of killing um, and the moral legitimacy or the moral illegitimacy of it. But in any case, it's a very disturbing scene uh, that's very distressing. Uh, I think the next one that I remember being very emotionally distressed by was he's about to shoot another boy who has picked up a, a grenade launcher and is, 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 uh, looks like he's about to shoot the grenade launcher and uh, because he picks it up from a man that uh, Chris Kyle has just shot. And uh, so the boy picks it up, is aiming it, and Chris Kyle doesn't want to shoot him, but he's going to shoot him if he needs to shoot him. And he's saying, put it down, put it just down, drop, put it, down, put it, drop it, it, drop it. You're right. And so, again, you see this kind of more. But I, I think one of the things that frustrated me about that scene was uh, the black and white terms and the mutually exclusive options that you're given in that kind of scenario, which is one of my fundamental problems with the Chris Kyle character in the film that we can come back and talk about later if you want. But it's that here's a world-class marksman and yet he thinks his only op- only option is to not shoot at the kid or to kill the kid. And you know, if, you, if you're a world-class marksman, I don't understand why you can't shoot a warning shot that's gonna make that kid drop the thing and run, mm-hmm. or why you can't shoot the kid in the foot so that mm-hmm. he's gonna be crippled but he can live. Um, but again, you don't get that kind of moral nuance or moral complexity uh, available to you mm-hmm. in the storytelling. Kill or not kill. Kill, yeah, that's right. And so then, and then of course at the end, when he, you see the unfolding of his PTSD, which I think, uh, and maybe we'll talk about this in a little bit, but you know, a lot of people, or some people are saying that Eastwood intends this as an anti-war film. Um, and if that's true, it seems to me he insufficiently has his Chris Kyle deal with the difficulties of PTSD. I mean, from the people that I've talked to who have dealt with PTSD, it's a much more drawn out, much more difficult, much more painful mm-hmm. uh, process than you see him going. It, you know, so he goes into the doctor because he's got a problem, and uh, the doctor says, "Well, lots of people see stuff that see stuff there. They they regret stuff that they've done." And Chris Kyle says, "I don't. That's not me. I don't regret anything I did, and I would only you know wish I could have killed more." Um, uh, and then he immediately goes and starts helping people, and it's like mm-hmm. he's healed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's uh, that's um, unfair to veterans who go through this stuff. That it's more comp- apparently a more complicated process than that. But you see, we at least see him go through the process. He's getting better. He's got a good relationship with his wife and his kids. Finally, finally, after after a life just an absolute terrifying Horror. horrible life yeah. together right at one point she says to him i need you to be human again yeah you know so in i if, forgot that line that's it, a that's it, powerful line. if it were an anti-war film you you know you could make the case that he does a he does loud and clear send the message that that this does something to people to, yeah that this this is not a life you, you want right this isn't living full life yeah um, because he's not, he's you know, in, in the eyes of his wife, who loves him more than anyone else on earth, she wants her human husband back, and she doesn't. And she can't he's not it. there. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, but the way I finally got really moved on that scene was, you know, when he's killed. Yeah. And you see, you see the fundamental brokenness that all of these folks are caught up in. Um, it is interesting that we don't see the we don't see the kill, that we don't see any we don't see Chris Kyle shot by the person he's right 
helping. They they tell us that story, which I guess is it maybe would be, yeah. I would be really interested to know what was the editorial decision making process yeah. in that. Um, it, you know, I heard one person speculate that well, that's not going to be shown because it would be marine on on Navy SEAL violence. Yeah, and we don't show that kind of violence. And when other, others would speculate, well, no, it's just showing respect for the family of Chris Kyle. Well, and I th- I, th- I think maybe that's just the way biopics are done. You, at the end, you know, you you just end it. And then a credit tells us the the, what, the, the end, end. Of the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I th- I think that's probably a standard, or maybe hasn't always been that way, but I think that is pretty standard. Yeah. Um, y- you're tell talk us through the decision to write the article. What, what? Why did you know? Did you did the Huffington Post contact you and say, "Would you like to do this?" Did you contact them and say, "Hey, I think I've got something I want people to hear." No, neither one. Um, I I write for them occasionally, and um, so I can just write something whenever I want. Okay. And, um, and so I thought, well, this would be an interesting thing to yeah. put out there and see what happens and what kind of conversation it gets. And I actually, after I wrote it, I thought about not publishing it. Um, and um, but I, the only book of Stephen King's I've ever read is his book on writing, which is an excellent book. And he says the first rule of writing is to be honest. And uh, and I've also kind of lately have been going through this kind of process of trying to not avoid conflict as much as I have in my life. And I thought, well, this will be a good exercise in putting something out there that can be yeah. uh, me practicing not avoiding conflict and being honest about the way I see it. So what do you think you said in here that could be or has been so offensive to, to people in general or maybe, maybe Americans specifically? Yeah. Um, and by the way, the title of the article is Clint Eastwood's Sniper and the American Messiah. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the thesis of the article is that um, what we have in this story is a classic hero tale. Like the Greco-Roman culture had these hero tales, and they, you, know, you have someone who faces their own demons, faces their own challenges, and they have to go off and decide whether they can be courageous or not. And that, especially in Roman culture, the hero is one who exercises courage in the face of uh, threat in battle. And uh, the hero is one who emerges victorious, uh, oftentimes with a tragic end. Uh, and so it's kind of the classic hero story. So what I wanted to do with that is to note that um, virtues are always story dependent or communal dependent. Uh, that is, What's a virtue in one context is a vice in others. We typically, in our in Western culture, because we're so, we try to universalize everything. We think of well, all virtues are the, are the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. But no, if you look at different traditions, different virtues, there are different things that count as a virtue. And so clearly, for Chris Kyle, the Chris Kyle Eastwood story, um, his his virtues are his he's tough. He's uh, he's uh, really. I mean, he's. I mean, you can't look at the guy as told in the movie without realizing this dude is tough, and it's admirable, mm-hmm. and he's courageous, and he has perseverance, and all of that stuff is very admirable. And as I note in the article, you know, the academics like me, we need to see kind of a kick-ass character every now and then because to be reminded, you know, yeah, sometimes you just need to stand up. And, Mm-hmm. Say what you got to do, or do what you got to do, and so forth. Don't don't take any crap. Uh, so that kind of part of the storytelling is really really good. But what I wanted to do is to play out the difference between that kind of story and the 
and the gospel story. So the American Americanized American sniper stories is kind of classic telling of a hero, a true hero in that context, who ends up being killed in a tragic end. Um, and so I say, you know, perhaps this is a picture of what we might consider the American Messiah. It's people like this who save America. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the gospel story, we have a very different kind of telling of uh, a story in which the heroism is a very different kind of heroism. Matter of fact, and I don't say this in the article, but uh, it's been pointed out that in the early church, they don't even use the language of heroism. They use the language of martyrdom. And that the martyr is the analog to hero in the Greco-Roman mm-hmm. stories. Uh, so I'm trying to play out those different kinds of ways of thinking about what the narrative is doing along the way. You, when you go to a movie, well, you, you went to American Sniper, and yep. then you sat down and talked about it with some of your buddies. Um, it's probably impossible not to bring with you into that in experience the voice of John Howard Yoder. Sure. Uh, just as it's difficult for me to, to, to sit in an American Sniper and, and not, not take into that with me my experiences in your class where we talked about things like this and, uh-huh. and you shared you know you you just sort of shared with us some ideas about the messiah ideas about jesus that that were really challenging to this notion of violence you know or, or just war theory or what have you and and i think that's interesting because we're doing a podcast here for youth ministers who are mentors for young people they are telling stories they're using video clips to illustrate points from scripture. They're, they're, you know, the people that are listening to you right now are expert storytellers, bringing the story of Jesus to life for their young, young mm-hmm. adults, and you know, freshmen or, or seventh graders or seniors or whatever. Um, and and you know, moving into the future, their students will carry that influence with them. So. What do you you know? What do you say? This was an article for anybody that wanted to read it. How would you you know, if 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 you could condense this down to a to a few paragraphs or a few sentences for youth pastors, who are going to have to decide as we lead young people whether we're going to lead them from an attitude of the suffering Jesus is is our champion versus the conquering hero is our champion. What 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 would that be? You know. Um, well, I think there's a great variety of ways to do that, um, and you know, one of the ways is to find alternate stories. So we go back to the Romero movie. I mean, that's a very alternate kind of storytelling to American Sniper, um, but it's dealing with it's still dealing with questions of systematic violence. It's still dealing with questions of oppression. Um, and, and yet it's trying to find a faithful way to bear witness to the kingdom of God in the midst of that. Um, and, you know, there, there's lots of people that we can point at. You know, there's, there's uh, the, the pastor in France in, during World War II who tries to figure out what it means to, to bear witness to the way of Christ in hiding Jews in his village. And so this village hides, uh, I don't know, a number of thousands of Jews from the Nazis. Um, and, and he does that as a pacifist. Um, there's, just, there's lots of different alternate story, stories, I think, out there to be told. Um, but I also want to say that uh, this article is not about pacifism or yeah. just war. 
Um, it's more a question about the way in which um, we think of our moral formation. And I think one of the things that's really very uh, disturbing to me right now in American culture is that we are so polarized, uh, it seems to me, as a society, and that polarization is uh, taking very hostile, entrenched positions and casting aspersion on the other, and it makes it difficult to even begin to have kind of constructive conversations about stuff. And for me, I think that um, I think American Christians, Christians in America, really need to come to grips with the fact that there is an idolatry about seeing the nation state as the savior. And of course most Christians say we don't see the nation state as the savior, but we overlook the ways in which theological language gets used about America all the time. So you go back and you look at Barack Obama's speeches, or you go back and look at, at McCain's concession speech to Obama. That same night, they would use language like, America's the last great hope of the world. And hope is a theological category. Mm-hmm. And hope is about who is bringing about the, what is needed in human history. And American Christians too often see America as the hope of the world. And we really need to see, for all the great things that there are about this country, to see it as the hope of the world is, is an idolatrous move. And I think things that concern me about a movie like this, I have no interest in criticizing Chris Kyle, and I have no interest in criticizing veterans. I have all sorts of interest as a Christian in asking the church not to, to take a stance in which we are unthinkingly believing that our ultimate good is somehow dependent upon uh, the nation state. Yeah. And that is a that's a vicious lie that's been told for the last you know since the rise of the nation state and the Enlightenment, and it has led to all sorts of barbarous behavior one over against the other. What you just said makes me think of a moment in the movie that for me was the moment. He is about to go out and on on his final mission, and he's in a tent. And there's a general, I assume it's a general, it's, it's his leader, it's the guy in charge of this thing. There's a project, and a sniper from the other side is taking out our people before we can get this wall put up, which is going to help end this war. You know, So the wall is a good thing. We're trying to get the wall built. We're trying to do a good thing for the people of Iraq. There is a sniper out there that is keeping us from doing because he keeps picking us off. Chris Kyle is sitting there in the tent, and he says, Is this Mustafa? which is the name of the guy that has killed his buddy and the name of this this sort of enemy that he's just got to kill before he goes home. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but the guy in charge says, he actually uses profanity to say it, but he says he, he can be anybody you want him to be. We just need him to be dead. Yeah. Like we don't, I don't of course his name's Mustafa if that's going to help you kill him better, you yeah. know. And I, the, you know, the, the wording was he can be anyone you need him to be. Yeah. We just need him to be dead, and and then he goes out and takes this impossible shot where you you know according to the story he couldn't possibly have seen who this person was you know from that distance. Um, it's a miracle shot, you know, just like you would expect to see in an American movie about a hero. I mean, he pulls it off and it makes it happen. But I couldn't help thinking in the moment, you know, did did he did he know that was Mustafa? I mean, is this you know we're, 
we're about the business maybe in this country at times is in terms of the nation state of defining who it is that we're going after in the broadest possible terms and and I and I just think that hits home uh, for us you know in a, in a way that I don't have to be a Navy SEAL to, to need to learn from that lesson that that my enemy um, you know is is it's not just a faceless enemy. It's a it's a creation of God, you know. Yeah. And so. And, yeah, and I think that the New Testament is much more careful about that. But by the time you get, for example, to uh, not chronologically, but at least in the canon, you, you get look at Paul's stuff or Pauline writings. Um, what what Paul will say over and over again is that there are these principalities and powers at work in the world. And as he'll, as you know, Ephesians six, our enemy is not flesh and blood, but is the principalities and powers, um, and that the the ways in which the Christian church is called to deal with the darkness in the world is a fundamentally different way than the way nation states deal with their so-called enemies. Um, and moreover, I, I think another thing that really disturbs me about the film, uh, and again. It, uh, some people have criticized me review, and I think they may be completely right. But but the way I see and read that film is that you've got this picture that's much much too simplistic about good guys versus bad guys, and you've even got Mustafa is always always wearing black, mm-hmm. you know, and and all the, all this kind of silliness, um, and uh, you have Clint Eastwood's telling of Chris Kyle in which uh, it's the towers coming down and he goes to Iraq. But we know by now, historically, that Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. Right. Um, or we, we overlook the fact that um, a half a million children, and I, I think very few American Christians know this, that half a million children aged five and under died in Iraq because of U.S. sanctions uh, from the first Gulf War. Um, and so it's this kind of historical complexity to the play of power that the mm-hmm. movie refuses to deal with, and, and some people say, "Well, that's not what the movie's trying to do." Yeah. Maybe, right? But nonetheless, um, uh, it points to it again. We, I think, if we're going to think about a film like this and take a film like this seriously, somebody has to ask those questions. Right. It's a, it is a very interesting dilemma that the church finds itself in to try and stand as a prophetic voice against uh, some of this. In a country that we love, yeah, surrounded by veterans that we love. I, 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 when I see veterans, when I see cops, when I see whomever, I, I, I genuinely am filled with respect for who they are, thankfulness for who they are. I, if they, if I could get away with hugging them, I probably would. I typically <laughs> maybe I'm, you could give them a digital I, side hug. I'm a big, I'm a big hugger, and everybody, everybody on this podcast knows that. But literally, I will, I will just walk up and say thank you for what you do, and and I couldn't do what they do. You know, I, I don't, I don't. And, and, and I'm and I'm you know I'm filled with all these questions of whether whether what they are doing is is what Jesus would do and and have have we fooled ourselves into you know as a country sort of fighting wars for the wrong reasons and all that's packed in there but it doesn't keep me from wanting to wrap my arms around these veterans and tell them thank you for their willingness to sacrifice you know there's a moment in the movie where she says you're self-centered and he says how could you say I'm self-centered I'm willing to lay myself down for for my country, it was one of those moments where you're just like, "This is really tough." 
Yeah. It isn't simple. And I, I remember the first time I heard you advocate for a pacifist approach. You know, you don't have to travel far in the New Testament without finding, you know, Jesus saying, love your enemy. Um, and pray for those who persecute you. And it's a pretty simple case to make. If we're going to follow Jesus, maybe we ought to do the same. And I remember you saying something along the lines of, but that's easy for me to say, you know, because I've never been put in a position where some, somebody was trying to take my family or steal my home or my, put my life in jeopardy, and I don't know what I would do. So I, I don't know that, you know, we're looking for easy answers. I, I don't think... That's I, I loved what I loved about your article was it didn't really give answers it just asked tough questions yeah. it, re, it tried to recognize this is there's something deeper yeah well and I also say um, I had um, I had uh, some feedback from a former student of mine who is a Iraq Iraq and Afghanistan uh, combat veteran who um, he was he was he was pretty bothered I think by the article but. I appreciated that what I needed to hear from him was, he said, I don't really want to argue about the war one way or the other. Uh, and he said, but there are 22, you know, I haven't checked these numbers, but he, he said to me, there are 22 veterans a day who are killing themselves. Um, and of course, uh, my understanding is that more veterans have died from suicide than have died in fighting in Iraq mm. and Afghanistan. And um, that the deep kinds of wounds that veterans are carrying around, um, it's 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 terribly unhelpful. I think if we don't take very seriously that there that this stuff, as you said earlier, it does stuff to people. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a, you know, Chris Kyle, according to the movie, got deployed four times, which is more deployments. There have been more people in the military have been deployed more in this war than any other war far as I know in American history um, and clearly it's it's a horrific thing that we are doing to people um, and so I think that wherever we come out on this stuff which I think are really really important questions and I think are central to the, our understanding of the gospel if we if it then becomes some sort of demonizing of veterans then I mean that's blown the whole thing right, you know, right. it's Absolutely. not about demonizing anybody it's about trying to figure out how to be ministers of reconciliation and being present to whoever's in our path to be vessels of grace and mercy to whoever it is that, that's in our path. And if I didn't know you, you know, I might wonder about your love of our country. I know you. I know that, that this has nothing to do with bashing the United States of America either. You love our country, and I love our country. Um, what I hear you saying loudly and clearly, and, and maybe this is, is important for us as youth ministers, actually, frank, frankly, any minister, you know, who who's the answer? And and who who are we looking to, not just for direction of our own lives, but the salvation of of the world? Um, and it and it can be it can be our country. It's the nation state is not going to be the answer to that. Um, so I appreciate your perspective. I'm. Would you say that you're the response you've gotten to this has been overwhelmingly negative, I mean, or overwhelmingly positive, or bits and pieces uh, no, been, of... Yeah, it's been a mix of all mix. of the above, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, thank you so much. I, I, I will say that uh, I, I serve, to all of those listening to the Digital Side Hug podcast in youth ministry, I did get to serve as a youth minister for two and a half years while I was a PhD student, and it taught me a great deal about the deep skills and mercies and perseverance entailed in 
attending <laughs> to young people, and I respect the work greatly. And and maybe that was the last time you felt culturally relevant when you were in youth ministry? Yeah, I decided I didn't have to worry about it a whole lot after that. Yeah. Well, well th- thank you for joining us on the podcast. Lisey Camp, uh, if you want to follow him on, on Twitter, it's at Tokens Show. At Tokens Show, yeah. And I, we didn't even get to talk about no, Tokens Show. You, so, you, one of the things, and we do not have, we don't have any more time. Yes. But um, in, in, I'm going to start the digital side hug music and just say that one of your passions is combining theology and bluegrass music. Yeah, Americana. 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 Yes. Yes. Ah, yes, so gr- it's a great uh, tokenshow.com. Would that be a place com where you or could facebook.com/slash/tokenshow? And 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 maybe at some point in the future you come back on yes. to talk token show that would stuff. Be fun. Uh, I don't know when you, is your next one at Pepperdine or is it happening? No, it's at uh, Lipscomb University, August fourteen with uh, April fourteen with David Crowder's going to be coming in. And it's this, it's sort of like the G- Garrison Keeler. Yeah, it's kind of it's that old, that kind of variety show, yeah. radio format show. So we we do a mix of uh, author interviews. Uh, we have a killer house band, yeah, Nashville yeah. A-list musicians. Most yes, excellent radio most, program. Oh, yes. Most, most it, outstanding. It, it, most outstanding. Yeah, most outstanding. Yes. It, it's, a, it's a real experience. Um, thank you for, for being on the podcast today. Uh, let's keep thinking about these things and keep relying on God as our, as our Savior for the world, uh, for our lives, for our students. Thanks for being a part of the uh, Digital Side Hug. And I'm, I'm going in for a hug right going, now of Lee Camp. Going in. Lee C. Camp. Oh, and and uh, we'll see you next time on the Digital Side Hug. Thank you all. Thank you.